All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 927 points, or 2.7%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 26.5 points, or 7 tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 61 points, or 6 tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 7 tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 3.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 6.4%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I think as we as we discussed on last weekend's MoneyWise program, um, the kind of numbers as far as how we started the year off, whether it was the Dow the S&P or the NASDAQ, that this uh, the way they kicked off was not going to be sustainable. So obviously this past week we saw some profit-taking, although the NASDAQ was able to uh, to squeak by with a six-tenth of 1% gain. But when I look at the technicals, I mean, the market has been, particularly the S&P 500, has been kind of caught in this trading range really going back to the end of October of last year. And we still haven't broken through. Now, on Friday, you know, had a nice rally. Now, Friday was uh, triple witching, options expirations, always happens on the third Friday of every month. And although volumes were below average, we were able to get the S&P 500 right back to its 200-day moving average, which is consistently going back to the beginning of this bear market has consistently been the line in the sand of resistance for upwards movement in the market. So that 200-day moving average is still holding um, as that line in the sand. Yeah, I was looking here at the charts. I think uh, on last Friday, I think for the S&P, we closed about less than 10 points above the 200-day line. And then we spent one, we spent Monday above it. Tuesday, we closed below it. Uh, I think Wednesday and Thursday, we we closed below it. And then on Friday, boom. 
We're I right mean, back. Thursday, actually, Thursday, actually, I'm going to correct something. The, the markets were not open on Monday because I believe this yeah. was the week we had we Martin had the uh, the uh, holiday. So it was Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then on Friday we closed right at the line. So we spent a couple of trading days above the 200-day average, and then it came right back down again. Now this week we had a salad when it came to earnings results. That's all we got was a, a salad. We just got oh, the oh, salad. Oh. We just got, oh, salad. We, we just got we, we haven't even got to the, the main course. course yet. All yeah. we got was the salad this week. A little but salad little. as and I think do you still have those statistics up on your computer to talk about the kind of you know it's kind of it wasn't that great the earnings the earnings numbers well, that came let out. Me, let me well, let me well let's just talk opinion, about yeah, let's just let's just talk about the S&P 500 earnings. So as of the close of business Friday, 11% of the S&P 500 companies have reported uh, their results. 67% of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive earnings per share surprise, and 64% of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive revenue surprise. But when we start looking at the earnings growth, so so far for the fourth quarter of 2022, the blended earnings decline for the S&P 500 is a minus 4.6%. Now, if the minus 4.6% is the actual decline for the entire quarter, once all the S&P 500 companies have reported their earnings, this will mark the first time the index has reported a year-over-year decline in earnings since the third quarter of 2020 when it was minus 5.7%. And what was third quarter earnings? We're in still dealing with the depths of COVID. Yep. That's what I was thinking, the depths of the COVID, and right back to where we sort of were with, with earnings. So, so far we're seeing just under 5% of earnings declined so far with just 11% of the S&P 500 companies reporting earnings. But as Jeff said, for this past, you know, four trading days on Wall Street, we just have the salad as far as the earnings are concerned. So next week and the following week is going to be the tomahawk steak. Of earnings okay. reports, if we're going to stay with potato, the food okay. Food. I just want a plain old baked potato. <laughs> Joe wants well, potato and hey, a dinner roll. Guys, I, I just don't want to get a pie in the face. You know, that's that's what. And, and I, yeah, you like that? Yeah. Those first two statistics, the the percentage of companies beating is lower than it has been for a, quite some time. Usually, it's it's been in the seventies or low eighties. The percentage of companies that have been beating. The number in the 60s is, you know, is like I said, substantially below where we've seen things of late. Did you have something you want to add, Kyle? Yeah, one other thing I wanted to add is as of December 31st of 2022, the estimated earnings decline for the fourth quarter of 2022 was set at negative 3.2%. So the earnings reports are underperforming what the predictions were as of December 31st of 2022. But with all that said, so far, the markets have fared okay. I mean, granted, the Dow, which was the best performer of the major indexes last year, is up a whopping seven-tenths of one percent. But with the S&P up three-and-a-half percent and the NASDAQ up 6.4 percent, it's still a decent start. But we're only talking 11 percent of the S&P 500 companies. And we said on last weekend's show, the way that we started this year is not sustainable throughout the entire year. Because if you annualize those numbers, you'd be looking at a NASDAQ up. 80% for the year, and 
None of us would predict that to happen. Well, you're seeing so far an inverse of the NASDAQ and the Dow compared to last year when the Dow was down the least and the NASDAQ was down the most. Now, NASDAQ is up the most. Well, and, and you typically – and you typically see that. I read I read an article this past week that states that the second best performing sector of a previous market year is typically the leading sector the following year. So it's like the silver medalist from 2022 as far as sector could possibly and historically has been the gold medal winner in the following year. We'll have to get some more details on that, and we'll give it to you. But let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program. Before we went to commercial break, I brought up a statistic or a story that an article that I'd read in Market Watch this past week, just talking about the different major asset class sectors and their performance. And one of the writers was going back and, and looking through history and what he had found consistently is that the major asset class that was the second best performer of any given year had a higher propensity or a higher odds of it being the top performer in the following year. And so one chart that I know Joe and I used a bunch when we were on the mutual fund wholesaling side and we still look at today is something that's called a Callan chart or a Callan table, and it's spelled C-A-L-L-A-N. And these charts are free. You can find them all over the Internet. When I searched for one for the 2022 year-end, found it in about 30 seconds through a Google search, and was just looking at now they make different kinds of calendar charts where they'll actually drill down if you're looking just at stocks. Okay, was it large cap growth, large cap value, small cap growth, small small cap value? What were the sub-asset classes within the major asset classes? How did they perform in any given year? And the chart typically goes back 20 years. Well, the chart I'm looking at right now, and talking about are the major, major asset classes like the S&P 500 versus the Russell 2000 or a bond aggregate index versus a uh, overseas bond aggregate index. And so looking at much broader 50,000-foot overview as opposed to a little bit more ground level. And what I found very interesting is for last year in 2022, the second best-performing Asset class, major asset class was high yield bonds down 11.19%. And it's, it's still mind boggling having in a negative, a negative 11% be the second best performing asset class. But if we were asking dad and he was on the show, what was the best performing asset class last year? Major asset class. Cash. Starts with a C. There you go. There you go. Cash. That cold cigar. hard cash, baby. That's right. Cold hard cash was up 1.46% according oh, to this calendar chart. I think chart. it just 
demonstrates how difficult uh, 2022 was. You know, it's it's it for us as managers of money in the history that you know we just completed 33 years. Uh, you know, last year rivals only 2008 in terms of uh, difficulty. I would like to pose a question to y'all. Um, with the S and P up three and a half percent in 13 trading days, and there are 250 trading days this year, so we have completed le- just over five percent of the total trading days this year so far. And I want y'all to tell me what piece of news or or pieces of news justifies the S and P 500 being up three and a half percent in the first 13 trading days of the year. And we still do not have the real, as Kyle described it, what was that piece of meat you were talking about in the first segment, Kyle? The, the tomahawk, tomahawk steak. The tomahawk. We have not even had the tomahawk steak earnings yet, and we're up 3.5%. I don't get that. I don't understand what it is that the markets see to justify it being up that much in 13 trading days when we haven't even got the earnings. And the earnings that have come in so far, the statistics are showing that they're worse than expected, including uh, the how much earnings growth has been down. I, so I got a theory. Okay. All right, this is my thought process. Well, is the market always forward-looking or is it always looking in the rearview mirror? Or is it always – taking things as they come immediately. What I'm getting at is maybe there's some forecasting of the Fed finally being done with rates and people want to get their their portfolios positioned for the second half of the year, barring we don't have a recession. That could be some of it in the back of people's minds. That's what they're positioning for. There is some good news, maybe some light at the end of the tunnel. And maybe they're looking past the first and maybe second quarter earnings reports. And, 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 and I want to add on to that because I, I think Joe has a very solid point that we could see some repositioning, some rebalancing of portfolios at the very beginning of the year for particularly mutual funds or some institutional managers that are kind of always in having to rebalance their portfolios, taking advantage of some some values that have been significantly hit on the technology side. And... Yes, maybe they're in the camp that we're going to see a mild or no recession where there's other investors that are concerned of a deeper, darker, nastier recession. So, how about, uh, how about all those organizations that don't really manage money, that asset allocate, that did poorly last year, who had to go in and rebalance their portfolios to get their S&P or you know, get their stock allocations back up to where they were. Absolutely. So it was a, Absolutely. So it was a, it was a mindless rebalance. And as Correct. we've said, as we've said over and over again, rebalancing is not managing. No, rebalancing it's not. Is it's, not it's, not, it's not active asset management. And you know, to me, the other way I can tell. Yeah. Here's another way I can tell, Jeff, where it could just be this rebalancing is is volume is still light. Volume is still light. We're not seeing. If I start seeing volume. Every day, day in and day out, above the daily moving average, that that tells me that new money that has been sitting on the sidelines are getting is getting into the market. More active managers, more institutional active managers, mom and pop, home gamer investors who've been sitting on a lot of cash are starting to put more money to work. But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that at all. Yeah, so that's see, a big telltale sign for me. I don't feel like technically. I don't. 
I don't feel like it's any of the FOMO people. I don't think it's any of the, the fear of missing out folks. And that's why the, you know, the, the, the S and P has done what it's done. I, I truly think it's these, these mindless robo managed portfolios that come in and did their annual rebalance that don't do diddly squat for the remainder of the year. And that's Very why possible. I, I, I challenge, I'm going to challenge our listeners again who now have all their December statements to get out your December 2022 statement and compare it to your December 2021 statement. And if there's been no changes to the allocations or the investments in your portfolio and you're paying for management fees, you're not getting it. I, I want to point something else, out, something else out also, okay? And we're talking about calendar charts. And I remember last this last year talking to a 401k participant. And I said, look, here's what you need to do. There's a certain model portfolio or portfolio they can use in their 401k that had a certain percentage of stocks, certain percentage of bonds, and really was kind of addressing a risk tolerance. But, and, but what she did, she looked at the performance from the fourth quarter of 2021, and what do you think she did? What do you think her portfolio was overweight in? And, Kyle, you can look at your calendar chart in front of you that you can see as Large we speak. equities. Yeah, Large where do you think the rest equities. of it was? Where do you think the number two was? Or other than real estate, small cap. Small and what cap. happened the following year in 2022? Where were small uh, cap and large cap? Large uh, small cap. cap was second. Small cap was second to worst, and large cap was the middle of the pack, down 1811. And she wanted to know why she was down like 15 percent in the first quarter last year. Don't chase returns based on the previous year. That's you know Absolutely. every year is a different strategy. So. Mm-hmm. Just food for and, 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 and also, and also, strategies can change at the drop of a dime because everything is so data dependent. And, and to the original point, you know, the markets do look out six to eight months down the road. There are some things that we know as fact. The fact is, inflation has peaked. Is it coming down as fast as we would like? No, and it's going to take time to work itself through. I know when we come back from the by the hour break, Jeff's got some economic statistics from this last week, this past week that we need to go into, but we know that inflation has peaked, but it's coming down very slowly. We know we heard this past week another round of layoffs at Microsoft. We heard layoffs at Google. You know, Amazon's laying off some people from overhiring due to the COVID pandemic. So there's, again, more people that are going to be coming out looking for a job. Granted, we have 10.4 million jobs available right now, but as Jeff has made this point in past shows, what are those jobs? Are they high-paying tech jobs? We don't know. Are they smaller tech companies, mid-sized tech companies, or all these more service jobs that somebody that works at Google is way overqualified to do? You know, so that's that's kind of the sixty-four thousand dollar question. But I think it, I think the fact remains is that all the Fed's monetary policy decisions are finally and really showing some effects. The big question is how bad are the effects going to be over the medium and longer term? And that's where the handicapping has to come into play in your portfolio, and where active management is always a critical key. Because we just don't know yet, and it's going to be—it's going to take time, and you have to be patient in your portfolio and move very deliberately, and still be in a defensive posture, in and especially in and around these next two quarters. So let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So coming in from the bottom of the hour break, I had alluded that we were going to go into some economic statistics, Jeff. I know you just hot off the presses and highlighted, ready to go. But, but the, again, the point that I was making in the last segment is that some of the facts that we do know is that inflation has peaked. We're starting to see some deterioration in the economic statistics that's proving that what the Fed is doing from an interest rate increasing policy standpoint, monetary policy standpoint, is really starting to kind of sink its claws into the economy as a whole. And then the big question is going to be how deep are those claws going to sink? So, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you. So retail sales on Monday showed that U.S. retail sales fell in the month of December by the most in a year. The value of overall retail purchases decreased 1.1% in December after a downwardly revised 1% drop in the month of November. Also on Wednesday was the producer price index. Now it showed that producer prices dropped in the month of December by the most since the start of the pandemic. Uh, the producer price index for final demand fell one half percent last month in December. The monthly decline was driven by a decrease in goods prices, most notably energy and food. If you exclude those components, the so-called core producer price index rose one tenth of a percent in the month of November, in the month of December, and five point five percent year over year. Uh, on also on Wednesday, we had industrial production decreased seven tenths of a percent in the month of December. On Thursday, housing starts. Well, you can probably already guess uh, what those were. Private you know, new home house, housing starts uh, were down one point four percent. This was for the uh, month of December, and then finally on Friday. Existing home sales retreated for the 11th consecutive month in December, down one and a half percent. And I, you know, speaking of home builders, I read an, an interesting article out of Market Watch this past week that some of these big national publicly traded home builders are starting to offer their kind of own in-house mortgages to buyers at reduced rates than what they can get on the street in the open mortgage market to try to drive buyers to come in and, and get off the sidelines and start buying homes. And some of these, you know, big builders, they were talking 30-year mortgages with a four in front of it, four and a quarter, four and a half, depending upon the credit rating of the borrowers. So, you know, they're definitely looking to make some deals to stimulate the, the housing, but we still have to have supply. You know, well, that's that's I, not the issue. The The... The home builders using gimmicks, marketing gimmicks, in order to get people in the door and buying down mortgages, that has a cost. And that, that cost has to be borne some way, whether it's uh, reduced margins on their homes, meaning they're going to 
be you know selling homes and making less money. I mean, that has an effect on earnings. The one thing I say about you know all these economic statistics and the statistics that have been coming in over a number of months is you know by and large they've been negative, and the what I the the reception I'm seeing from Wall Street in the way that stocks have been trading is that the Wall Street has been reacting positively to this negative economic news because the the perception is is that okay we have these negative this negative economic news that's going to motivate the Fed to stop or slow the interest rate increases and that's you know that's what we want so therefore bad news is good news well there's a point at which Bad news is bad news. Yes, Kyle. Well, and I was going to say when 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 I was talking to you in the office on Wednesday, um, started noticing because we did receive these negative economic news, and the market responded appropriately to the negative news this past week. And I made the comment to you. I said, "Are we getting away from the this perversion in the market where bad news is good for the stock market and good news is bad for the stock market?" And we've seen a little bit of a role reversal this past week, and then the following morning on Thursday, our cashin, who has been involved on the floor of the NYSE for, I think, almost 60-plus years. I would say he's the grandfather of Wall Street, and CNBC talks to him all the time. And Art Cashin made this exact point in his interview Thursday morning on CNBC. He's like, I think we're starting to see now that bad news is being responded to appropriately in the stock market where the stock market is affected negatively. So maybe we are getting away from this perversion, as, as you coined it, Jeff, where bad news is bad and good news is good, not the well, other way around. Well, in the week just passed, that only seemed to be reflected in the Dow Jones Industrial Average chart stocks because the Dow was the worst performer. And, is, and if it wasn't for... Friday's rally, which again, if y'all can tell me the reason why we had you know, this this large rally on Friday, the Dow would have would have gone back to negative. Would have, would be now negative for the year, but there's it's still slightly positive. But the S and P was hardly down any this week, down less you know seven tenths of a percent is not that big of a deal. And the Nasdaq was up, and we still don't really have the the granddaddy of them all earnings on on. Uh, on the tech companies, all they, all the, the only news they've been announcing is all the people that they're laying off. So, and, and that and that was responded that to positively by Google. What it is, yeah. Well, and and that and the market responded yeah, positively I, on I, Google the market, the on Friday. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which again, that that is not going to last. That, that you you're not you're not going to tell me that companies after company after company after company laying off people is going to be. Good news for the market, and I, and I need to be buying stocks because if people lose their job, what? They don't have a job. They're not making money. But there's plenty not, of jobs not, available. If they're not making money, then they, they're not spending. If they're not spending, you hear where I'm going with well, all you, that. Well, yes, but but again, and I'm not going to I'm not going to mention the uh, the the letter with the number because you guys always give me a hard time about it. But there is still <laughs> trillions of dollars of excess savings sitting on the sidelines. There's over 10 million jobs available. Granted, they might not be high paying tech I, I, jobs, but they're jobs. So there's still jobs available, unemployment at three and a half percent, with a U six at a historic low of six point five percent. So, yes, 
but see, I think with some of these layoffs, this is about these companies getting leaner and meaner, which can obviously affect their bottom line positively and possibly obviously increase their margins and increase, you know, it, it just be good and positive because the companies are getting leaner and meaner. I mean, remember when Amazon started where they were talking last year about getting leaner and meaner and cost cutting and things of, and things of that nature to just make them stronger moving forward. So, yeah, we're going to continue to hear these layoffs from these big mega corporations. But you know that companies that are desperately in need of employees, the medium size and the small companies, a majority of our GDP from the business standpoint is driven by small companies across the country. And a lot of these companies, majority of them are desperate for employees. I, I had a conversation I, I don't with believe the that. I don't believe you that. don't believe that. No, I, I do. I do not. Okay. Well, the reason, why, the reason why, the reason why I don't believe it, the reason why I don't believe it, is because I think a lot of these companies, true, they're just like us. They really don't know how this economy is going to go this year. So are they really going to jump out and hire thirty, forty people? I mean, I, I don't know. If, if they've got employees I, I, that are working eighteen-hour shifts and they need if more they're help, not sure, absolutely. If, if they're not, if they're not sure really where this economy is going to go. And if this news continues to be the way that it is, you know, I just read off to you, other than the producer pricing, this, I just read read off to you some some pretty you know, okay. damning economic news. And the economic news hasn't been great the last you know, last month or the month before that. How many months in a row have the leading economic indicators been been negative? Nine, something like that. Okay, so then this leads me to this leads me to the case that the Fed is going to be only raising interest rates by a quarter of one percent on February first, maybe a quarter percent the next meeting, and they're done. Or they yeah, just so what is the raise market it one more also time. pricing in right now? What do you think the market is also pricing in right now? They're pricing in this rate cut, and none of these guys are saying that right now. They're pricing in some rate cut at the end of the year, and we just heard. Several more of them come out this week and say it ain't. You know, I don't know that they didn't under. They were they were scratching their heads and saying no, the market has got it wrong. We have no plans to do anything about okay. Interest and, and Jeff, and Jeff inflation, yes, I know what you're getting. Inflation right. was transitory, right? And inflation I, was transitory. I totally get it. And we're all y'all are trying please. to handicap the unhandicappable. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's what y'all are doing right that's now. This is watching y'all, listening y'all go back and forth, which is what we see every day on CNBC. Right. And you know, if you're an investor, you have a right to be confused because if the experts don't know which way this is going to roll, how are you supposed to know? And well, you, you I, have to have kind of a cautious approach, average into the market if you've got to do it. You know, and and a case of what about labor, all right, and jobs. Uh, Thursday, I was at a function and was talking to a buddy in construction. They're building a $3.8 million warehouse in, around San Antonio. So maybe, hopefully, some of these mega cap companies are going to be more strategic about who they're hiring, how they're going to, you know, how they're going to produce their goods or their services from that standpoint. They can't stay big all the time. They got to make some cuts and hopefully and prayfully they're, they're doing it a little bit more strategically and actually, you know, it, it's, oh my God, we have to have layoffs. We talked well, about think, that a couple I, weeks ago. I think, I, I think again, they have to just be and more be strategic and be and be smarter at hiring and paying attention to the bottom line, um, particularly after a year like we had last year in the stock market. You know, they're not going to have every single investor in the world beating down their door to give them money. Uh, so let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise Guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise Guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, I just wanted to go back from our last segment if you're just tuning in. You know, Jeff, you were making the comment that you feel that the markets are pricing in an interest rate cut before the end of the year. I'm not really reading or hearing too much about that. I would say that right now, in my opinion, the market has priced in a mild to very short-term light recession. Uh, I don't think a deep, dark, nasty recession is priced in. Uh, That I, I would definitely agree I don't feel that the market is pricing in an interest rate cut by the end of the year, but but who knows? And for the fact that we, uh, you know, the Fed cannot be trusted because inflation was transitory. That obviously they've got a pie in their face because of that. Now, every time a Fed governor comes out, they're talking tough. You know, they're telephone tough guys where they're trying to be as hawkish as possible because they're trying to save face because they screwed up so enormously saying inflation was transitory. And so they're going to come out and say, yeah, we're not cutting rates to by the end of 2023, so don't even count on that. Well, if the economic data that you just went through in the last segment continues to accelerate and deteriorate to the downside, they're going to be eating crow once Again, I mean, their belly should be full from all the crow they're eating. I hope they got a good barbecue sauce or a hot sauce to eat that crow from their transitory comments mm-hmm. um, as far as inflation is concerned. So the key is, though, the key is for all investors and what this means for all of our listeners in their portfolio is about patience, active management, from an allocation standpoint, across the board in our moderate allocations, we are still under a 40% allocation to stocks. And as the data is coming in over time with all the cash and all the dry powder we have, we can incrementally, very slowly dollar cost average back in because we all agree this is going to be a second half year. We've got to get the Fed done raising rates, which we are definitely in the ninth inning for them to be raising interest rates doesn't mean they're going to turn around and cut them, but they're definitely going to be holding them for a period of time, and we'll see how the economic chips fall. And one thing we haven't talked about at all in this what's show that? that is starting to get talked about more and more is what's going on in Washington over the debt ceiling. Yep, I was just thinking oh about that. Oh, my gosh. You know, this is such a charade. 2011 is coming Why tomorrow. even have a debt ceiling if they're never, ever going to stick to it we have hold on joe joe let me finish for a second we've got a hundred and thirty percent debt to gdp ratio a hundred and thirty percent and there is blame to go across both sides of the aisle we've got politicians that are spending like drunken sailors and that's an insult to drunken sailors that they just think they have an open, empty, blank checkbook where it's unlimited spending capacity, and a third 
of this spending is discretionary. So we need to give $4 million to, to check to see how warm oysters are inside their shell in the Gulf Coast. I mean, are you serious? I mean, that's just a funny example. But this is what this discretionary spending is. we got to get rid of all this discretionary spending. Pay attention to the citizens in these United States. Stop giving money to foreign countries. Stop funding this ridiculous war in the Ukraine. You know, we have to stop spending our tax dollars in foreign lands and take care of the people inside this country. You know, living in downtown San Antonio, seeing the homeless population and wondering how many served our country and are not being taken care of by our government. It's despicable. It's despicable the way our politicians waste our money. And I'll hop off the soapbox. That was pretty good, Kyle. That reminded me of Animal House. You know, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? I'm like, what? Okay. (laughs) Let's go get them. Well, I know which character you would be, Joe. Something like that. I know what character you'd but be. You'd be wearing I, the, would, the, the black sweatshirt that says college across the front of it. we got a few minutes, but I want Jeff to talk about the debt ceiling real quick because he wanted to go into that. I can see it on his face. I do remember, Sorry, I think Jeff. it's 2011, they downgraded the U.S. Uh, uh, the U.S. credit rating. But U.S. Look, credit oh, rating. Yeah. Oh, oh, these market, are from the same. fell 1,000 points in a day. I was in Puerto Rico on the beach. That mm-hmm. stunk. Well, Joe, let me ask you a question. I love these credit rating agencies that were credit rating CMOs and CDOs back during the before the financial crisis as AAA or A grade paper. Yeah, and we're supposed to take their word for the downgrade of the U.S. corporate. I mean, the U.S. Treasury debt. I mean, come on. This is a all of charade. They have they have excess spending capacity, and through June, so this really isn't a huge issue until we get to the summertime. And it's just a charade. I, think I don't, Jeff wants to I, wrap this I right don't disagree oh. with the political theater that's going to be occurring between now and, you know, as Janet Yellen said, you know, we don't know when the money's truly going to run out. That, that we, that we, these extraordinary measures that they are undertaking right now. Um, but I will just give you a little reminder about what happened. 12 years ago in 2011, and Joe, you know, made one point about that that particular day. Uh, I don't remember when it was, but, you know, the high of the year in 2011 occurred in April, and we were like 1350 on the S&P 500, somewhere in there. And at its low in October, we got to, a you know, a thousand. We, were, we had a 300-point nearly 30% high to low in 2011. And a lot of that had to do with what was happening with this this battle. So volatility could be enhanced by this battle. And it's just beginning. And it, 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 imagine if the battle over this debt ceiling has any resemblance to the battle over getting the speaker elected. You don't think that there's it could potentially increase some volatility in the market? Well, child, please, as Kyle, his dad would say, you know. Well, and you know, and you know what you just laid out the case for, Jeff? Why active management is absolutely critical now, at all times any, in your portfolio. Does any of this have will have any implication on the Fed's decision making? That was being debated on CNBC on Friday. They were kind of you know they were kind of shrugging their shoulders over what the Fed might do because the Fed doesn't want to intervene in what is in a, what is a political battle. 
You know, they want to be apolitical. They want to be. Um, <laughs> they really like want said, to yeah, be. They really want to be, but I don't know. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting how much volatility may increase in the markets as this battle is waged over the coming months and how that figures in to any of these other variables happening with interest rate increases and inflation. So as Kyle said, vigilance is always the key in the portfolio, and we will remain ever vigilant here at Davidson Capital. Okay, well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour breaks. So we'll take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time. And I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic, historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve returns and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach 
their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yeah. a that's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message, i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the conser- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys, Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, Run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. 
And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, not, a, a pretty uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data 
Um, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined, is especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe, you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you've, if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account, Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through 
all of these that are presented by Dalbar. The first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index annuities? Oh, brother, did you hear that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P five hundred index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, it, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, 
if analogies are used to represent stability, and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the the value of the security could go down and how uh, those those t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield that's right and, and not and not you know can i get my money out if i need to liquidate how fast can i get a hold of my money and what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment kind of going back to that i'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and, and again, going into... Uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks. To us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So, So even though you're talking about gold in particular because we've seen a lot of 
uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold. But I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and, and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified. But they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a, you know, being more of a contrarian as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who, defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. 
And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media – Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. but Because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you'd just bought a twenty-year bond twenty years ago and held it for the twenty years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average one hundred percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion 
and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this improving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior, and as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing, and I promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century we'll continue to have that balanced allocation remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area and also you have to remember investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming you know failure to diversify a portfolio you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation. An initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model. And an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it 
and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money is deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20% annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when i see prospective clients the issue is not having the 15% plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s mm-hmm. what it is is it's saying oh i want a 10% return but i don't want but i only want 20% of my money in stocks that's what we're seeing now there, there there's a there's a aversion for risk but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings maintain that true diversification another great way to help improve returns and jeff i know you said this earlier in the hour dollar cost averaging into investments if you have a 401k if you have an ira if you have a taxable account setting up monthly contributions or if you're in a 401k per pay period contributions we know in 25 years of business we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model one client that's putting in money every month another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of cal- that's a difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, 
again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.